This is the Yanks Go Yard Podcast with Adam Weinrib and Thomas Carinante. Welcome on in to the first episode of the Yanks Go Yard Podcast this week. It's been a long week and everybody's at spring training. But us, we're in a house. I'm Adam Weinrib alongside Thomas Carinante. Uh, holiday weekend bled into the Monday. We figured we'd wait till Thursday to get you the good stuff. And oh man, we got it. We got the good stuff. Uh, Frankie Montas had surgery, surgery over. Will he be back this season? Kind of seems like he will be, but I still wouldn't count on it. The Yankees new solution for left field just got very weird. But if they actually do what they're saying they're going to do, they might replace a void with Giancarlo Stanton, which seems like, I don't know, Probably a better ball player than Dalton Varsho. Uh, maybe not, though. Defensively, not at least. Um, plus, Ben Rortvet, the guy who doesn't exist. we got to talk about him. Anthony Volpe getting the pressure heaped on him this spring. And Paul O'Neill returning to the booth. All that and more on this episode, which you can find on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify. Truly, wherever you get your podcasts. Drop us a five-star review. Drop us those mailbag questions. We will be more than happy to answer them. You can also join us live on YouTube Mondays and Thursdays, 2 o'clock Eastern, every Monday, every Thursday, except for, again, the Monday that just happened. We didn't do it, but that's not our fault. They blame the president. Uh, and we might go live a few more times during the regular season if we got to, if, if it if it lends itself to everybody going live. Uh, yeah, well, obviously, we'll be here. Thomas Carinante, welcome to the show um so far so good at spring training i would say first games are this weekend dominating the narratives uh it's the same people who are always hurt are hurt uh nestor cortez seems to be in pretty good shape he's doing like agility drills and stuff uh live action has yet to even commence so i don't have a lot to whine or complain about but uh yeah the guys are all in florida not hearing anything i detest yet which is nice it is good. Uh, Saturday, the games start. Um, what are the injury concerns we have? It's Austin Wells, who's laid up right now with a bruised rib. Uh, ben Workvet, who we'll talk about at the, the, the back end of the podcast here. Um, DJ LeMahieu is doing well, apparently. Um, so can't really complain about any of that. We have no soft tissue injuries early on. Pretty positive. Further confirms that Nestor Cortez's hamstring issue was fake and they just didn't want him in the World Baseball Classic. Mm-hmm. Aaron Judge this week talked about why he foregoed the World Baseball Classic as well, focused on getting a championship in New York. Um, Got to respect it. Is it a tad hardo? Um, yeah, maybe. Um, I don't think you necessarily need spring training to ensure that you're going to win a championship. Um, but, hey, whatever anybody wants to do to focus and make sure that they're on track to do what they got to do, this coming season, I'm going to support it. Um, I can see the detracting arguments, though, um, and I'll quickly shut them down if you need me to. That's why I bring them up and then I smush them. But um, outside of that, we have uh, Aaron Boone talking again, and uh, it just it's never it's never good. Every time he speaks or Garrett Cole speaks, they just can't get through a full sentence, and it really just it 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 doesn't inspire you to pay attention all year. But he had something to say about the potential outfield plan that the Yankees might have. We've talked ad nauseum about this. Left field is vacant still. We don't know who's going to play there. Uh, how many times did we talk about last year um, with how Stanton is actually better when he's breaking up his time between the field and the batter's box? 
we have speculated, and he's even admitted that it's it's helped his game a lot. The, the split stats support it. But how demoralizing is it to be a DH to not you know to be in a slump, and then all you do is just you go back to the bench, you sit there, and then you think about striking out and sucking for another two or three innings, and then you have to go back out there and swing the bat. Uh, you have no defense to pick you up. You have no other moments to kind of distract you. Um, so we have, I think, fairly determined that John Carlos Stanton in the field, even if it's a little bit, is helpful for his game. Uh, he's played very little out there um, ever since. Even when he arrived in 2018, Aaron Judge missed, what, 50 games that year with the wrist injury or the the whatever, the lung, the lung thing. I don't even, I, I don't remember what it was exactly. Either way, he missed 50 games and Stanton still played fewer than half his games in the outfield. So at the, the plan for Stanton never really seemed to be that he was going to be um, a main outfielder on this team, especially if he played only half. And that was a full season for him. He played 158 games. But now Aaron Boone is telling us that we can hopefully expect John Carlos Stanton to be in the mix. Do we know how much that will be? Probably not because it's always a case by case basis on whether they feel comfortable doing it or whether Stanton's hobbled um, or whether they feel he's getting too much time on his feet. You have the Achilles injury from last year, which wasn't even suffered from him playing the outfield. It was from him twisting his ankle in the batter's box, it seemed. Um, But nonetheless, then the scenarios were floated where you have Stanton in right during home games because he has not played Stan has not played left field in Yankee Stadium since 2019. So you gotta suspect that they're not doing that at any point moving forward. If he hasn't done that in three, four years, he's not doing it again. Um and then there were scenarios floated where Judge would play left or Judge would play center and Bader would shift over to left. Um I don't know what it would look like on the road. I'm sure Stanton could get some left field reps on the road. We saw him get um, uh, some in Houston last year. Uh, I would suspect it would be in more hitter-friendly parks where he has less room to roam um, or balls are, I guess, getting tattooed into the gap. But what do you think about this? Do you believe any of it? Because I don't really believe it, and I don't want to get excited for it. I kind of just want somebody to step up and play left field. And if we have Stanton as the bonus, then let's go. That's great. No, I don't believe it. And it's it's also just too convenient to be like, uh, remember how you guys said we all had this giant left field void this season? Well, actually, it's going to be Aaron Judge and Giancarlo Stanton in the outfield while Glaber Torres DHs and DJ LeMay who plays second and maybe he plays third, maybe Anthony Volpe plays second. Like, it's a crazy good lineup and it's much better, obviously. The, the problem with Giancarlo Stanton is when he was acquired, they basically made the decision he's past his peak age for playing the outfield and he's basically never going to do it again. If he was able to play the outfield, then, yeah, the Yankees wouldn't have a left field void. They'd be able to hand the baton to Spencer Jones or Jason Dominguez in two years. They'd be into a permit DH role, and they'd have a superstar outfield with two uh, gigantic men in both left and right and be able to give Gleyber Torres some time off his feet, give DJ LeMahieu some time off his feet. It would be extremely helpful if the Yankees were able to do that. Uh, they're, they're not able to do that. Every time they play Giancarlo Stan in the outfield, too, he also hits better. It's always a small sample size of like 20 games because at the end of game 20 he hurts his hamstring so we don't really have a lot of data to back it up but he always hits uh we, i was just checking it out in, in like 2021 even in his stretches in the outfield he's hitting 340 with pop he played some games in the left some in right but again never enough it's like 12 17 because at a certain point 
he gets injured or at a certain point they want to play it safe. They don't want to do it again. He always makes cameos in the outfield, but I feel like entering this season, we are almost past the cameo phase and now we've rejoined the cameo phase, but it's, it's not going to happen more than once or twice. The big boy outfield, I would say. Also the idea that they might use Aaron judge in center and Bader in left. They said a couple of times that I don't understand at all. Let's just keep Harrison Bader it is natural position. Let's just yeah. keep Aaron Judge in left field if we have to. Ideally, we don't have to, but I don't really know why. You'd... Judge is not as good a center fielder as Harrison Bader. Harrison Bader is maybe a top five center fielder in baseball. So I don't want to neuter that advantage by shoving Aaron Judge in there. Judge himself said earlier in the offseason, like, we, we assumed the extension was the end of him in center. And Judge was like, no, I still plan to play center field. It's, it's great that he plans that. But I don't see a way where that works. Unless Bader goes down, Judge plays center, Stanton yeah. plays right, uh, left field is Hicks and Oswaldo Cabrera or whatever, and then we're right back where we started. I don't want to do that. I, if we have to do that, sure. I think there are flexible options in the event something happens. Um, I got to find a piece of wood. I don't want to jinx anything right now. I'm but not, yeah, I'm not going to. No one getting injured, uh, but it happens every year. The Yankees have the depth this time to absorb it. They have players who can um, take over at a multitude of positions, whether it's um, DJ LeMahieu in the infield, Oswald Peraza, uh, Oswaldo Cabrera um, in the infield and the outfield, Peraza in the infield potentially, um, Judge in the outfield. If, if So I, I'm glad the options are there. I don't want to have to force anything. Um in enforcing things, though, uh, we did get news on Frankie Montas's surgery timetable for recovery, and I just don't know if I even care about this. Well, he's as good as back, right? Like it's so it's it's twelve weeks when he gets to throw again, and uh, that means he'll be back at the end of twelve weeks, right? Maybe fifteen, worst case. Like, yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, 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 right. It, you it, know it, how this it, works. You don't even want to process the information because the information's pretty good. Yeah. But you hear it and you're just like, well, that's not real. So why would I why would I even analyze that? Why would I care? It's not gonna happen. So who cares? Well, I think people who pay attention would have that mindset, but people who are people who are still probably defending this trade, people are still on, you know, their their Reddit, their Reddit threads defending Brian Cashman um for this trade, still calling everybody else Captain Hindsight for uh, criticizing this deal with how everything has kind of transpired. Um, even though the warning signs were there, the warning signs were talked about at length, uh, the shoulder issue, uh, the road, the home road splits, it was all right there. So I don't know who is pretending like they are now disappointed with something they were overly happy with. Um, Frankie Montas was always the consolation prize at the deadline, but enough of that. Anyway, the surgery allows him to begin a throwing program in 12 weeks. That means May. End that of means May. Yeah. that means maybe back for the second half at full strength, um, and that's assuming there's no setback. Um, there's no issue. I guess the the best news out of this entire thing was the surgery. Um, they didn't have to operate on his rotator cuff, which I think was maybe the initial belief which would have put him out for way longer because that's a much longer recovery and a much more serious um, invasive procedure. They didn't have to do that, which I guess has chopped the timetable um, by uh, uh, maybe a month. Um, but still, you have to look at it this way. Any pitcher who has a surgery of this magnitude, um, whether it's shoulder, uh, whether it's Tommy John, um, 
whether it's, uh, you know, um, like thoracic outlet, that crazy one that puts you down for a while, um, you never see the results right away. Uh, it's always the year after you get the, 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 the either half season or full season that they're back from the surgery is essentially the, the, the second part of the rehab. They rehab from the injury. They're able to get back on the mound and now it's okay. Here's three to five months to actually ramp up. Remember what you used to do after you missed about a year or, you know, in most cases, 18 months, and then we'll revisit things next year when you're fully healthy and have the uh, requisite innings under your belt and have your arm strength built back up your stamina and all that. So I still think it's overly optimistic, even if his timetable is fully healthy and ready to pitch by the second half um, to think that he's going to be a worthwhile contributor. I think at best he uh, slots into the back end of the rotation, can eat some innings, can take some pressure off the bullpen Um, by September. Maybe he's getting into the, the five, six inning range consistently. Um, I think it's wishful thinking to expect him to be contributing in the postseason in a big way, but we've been wrong before. Happy to be wrong about this. That would be great. But to sit here and be overly optimistic after everything up until this point has gone in the complete opposite direction would, would, would be crazy as, as Aaron would say. Why would I be a believer in Frankie Montez? I also don't. Yeah, I don't want to be. It's. it's I don't want to be counting on. You know what? I definitely don't want uh, the twelve-week timeline lines up pretty much exactly with him being able to come back right after the All-Star break or after the trade deadline. And so it's almost like the Yankees are like, we know Frankie Montez isn't going to be back, but at least just buy us four more months of saying getting Frankie Montez back after the deadline will be better than any acquisition that we could make. Like, cause you know, they're they're Everybody makes that same joke, but they are preparing that and getting a healthy bullish Frankie Montas might technically be better than surrendering assets for another pitcher who, you know, is going to be a failure at the trade deadline. But that said, there's no way he's coming back healthy and ready to go on August 1st or August 8th or August 20th. It's just, it's not going to happen. And uh, I was already, when they announced he was going to be out for the whole year or most of the year, if everything went well, he'd be back for part of the season. I was of the belief that like, what do I, I want cold Frankie Montas back in the middle of September. That's something that I want when, when presumably the team has already addressed the fifth starter spot and maybe they decided they needed to make an addition and they made a trade at the deadline, or maybe Domingo Ramon is 15 and four, or maybe Clark Schmidt is dominating. I don't want to reintroduce Frankie Montas in any capacity. I don't want him in the bullpen. It's what they tried to do in the ALCS last year when they were like, he's actually fine and he's going to be on the ALCS roster. And I was like, I don't really want him there. Why would I want him? Then they brought him into game one and waved the white flag in like the sixth inning of a game one where they were down three, nothing. And uh, he immediately gave up a dinger because his shoulder was barking because it was barking the entire time he was on the New York Yankees. So it's nice to hear that he could theoretically be back after 12 weeks of rest and no baseball activities. And it's nice that he's going to be able to start a throwing program at some point this summer. And if he's healthy, I have to welcome him back onto the roster. I just can't plan for it because he won't be healthy. Uh, let's talk a little bit about the uh, crown jewel of the Yankee spring training festivities. Anthony Volpe, it's his first ever big league spring training, uh, which is exciting. Congrats to the kid. 
should get some actual reps. He was there last year, but he just mostly got photographed in the dugout with Aaron Judge and Giancarlo Stanton. He didn't do much of anything. Uh, don't I don't I can't recall an Anthony Volpe rep in a big league game. Definitely didn't start one. Probably got a couple ABs in the seventh, eighth, or ninth inning. Uh, right behind that guy who didn't wear batting gloves. Remember him, Armando Alvarez. Armando Alvarez. He's somewhere else. I mean, the Yankees have all these guys. There was a guy named like Mindy at some point that used to play this seventh, eighth, and ninth inning for the Yankees in spring training. I don't know where any of them are, but uh, they were not major league players, and that's where Anthony Volpe was mostly getting his reps last year. This year, it's the real thing. Now he's not going to make the roster out of spring training. We're all pretty much aligned on that, unless absolutely absurd things happen if oswald peraza gets hurt he does uh but probably not because we know how prospects work we know the yankees treat people but they're going to give him a chance uh but that's why it strikes me as so strange so they're they're giving him a chance but not really it's mostly a showcase he's not going to be starting on opening day in that case why is the team starting him at short on occasion playing him at second a lot, which is where he'll probably contribute if he does get called up at some point this year, and then also getting him reps at third, which is a position I don't really have interest in him playing. I don't have interest in him learning a new position. Second to short, short to second. I mean, he has to have been prepared for that already, but third yeah. base is a different animal. The Yankees are reticent to even move Josh Donaldson away from third base, so much so that Aaron Boone said this week, if you don't believe in a Josh Donaldson offensive bounce back, you're crazy. You're absolutely crazy. Oh yeah, you're you're the, if you don't believe in Josh Donaldson uh, after a year where all the metrics regressed and the performance was bad, then you're the one who's crazy. Uh, obviously, they're trying to gas him up. They would love somebody to eat some of that money in a trade. It's not going to happen. And so until then, we still have Aaron Boone calling us crazy for not believing believing in Josh Donaldson. But that's his job. Third base is DJ LeMahieu's job. If Donaldson falters, I don't think there's a world where Anthony Volpe takes that spot unless they trade. Glaburn put LeMahieu there and Donaldson at third, and then Donaldson struggles, and so they bring up Volpe. But in that case, you move LeMahieu to third and Volpe to second. It's clearly too much information going on in my brain, so wouldn't you think it'd be too much information for Anthony Volpe, who's already got a lot on his plate right now, to be learning an entirely new position? Yeah, I was thinking about that. The The first thought that came into my head was, oh, they're planning for a Donaldson exit, and that gave me some optimism because why else would you try Anthony Volpe at third base when you don't need to? Um, because you have DJ LeMahieu able to play there, um, and you don't really need any solutions at the other positions because you have IKF, and then in the event Volpe comes up, you have somebody who could fill in in both middle infield spots as well. My problem with this now, after kind of remembering everything about Anthony Volpe, because we've gotten swept up in – the rebound that he, the incredible rebound that he had from June until September of this year. However, I thought a big reason for him um, or for the Yankees being a little bit hesitant with him uh, or at least exercising any amount of restraint was his defensive shortcomings to an extent. Um, he, He makes a decent amount of errors. I'm not saying he's a bad fielder, but I think there is some, a little bit of a concern there um, just for MLB readiness purposes. Um, Do I doubt Anthony Volpe? Absolutely not. But you're in the minor leagues for a reason. You're there to burnish your skills um, and everything in between. And uh, while there are some, you know, his average dipped uh, this year after, you know, hopping up the level, which I don't think is a big deal, but 
some scouts or you know other talent evaluators might think so. You look at his fielding percentage at shortstop across all three levels of the minors, it's a 96.2%. Um, it's certainly not bad, but you probably want to be in the 98 range, right? I mean, if we're looking at people who are fielding at the most important position um, on the diamond, uh, I don't – and look, correct me if I'm wrong. I don't know. I just – I look at numbers based on um, – you know, you know, the medians and the consistency of the, the the better players in the game. I'm not sure 33 errors in 245 games at short. Is that, does that give you confidence if you're the Yankees? And then are you willing to just start testing him out at different positions if he hasn't entirely mastered the main one that you want him to play? So that's kind of my reservation with it. Uh, I think he'll be fine. I think he's super athletic. Um, I think he's certainly up for the challenge. Look, he's already overwhelmed or if he's not, it's, it, it already is what it is. He's coming up the pipeline to be the shortstop of the future for the New York Yankees. I think that is enough. And that's everything that's that you already have hit maximum capacity in terms of pressure, expectations, weight on your shoulders, whatever it is. So are they adding is adding this extra position going to put him over the edge? I don't necessarily think so. Um, but on the other hand, I'm not sure this is entirely necessary because you want him to be a middle infielder. If I think you have a, you have a tougher um, kind of long-term outlook uh, at second base, assuming Gleyber Torres probably isn't here after this season or even by the middle of this season uh, that you'd probably rather prepare for than than getting Anthony Volpe reps at third. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I don't know. It, I don't know. I, I don't know. I don't know. I don't do this. This is not my job. My job no, is not to tell Anthony Volpe where to play, unfortunately. I default, though, to the Yankees fucked it up, right? Yeah, like, of course. I'm never like, I, I'm not willing to sit and wait and be like, yeah, no, I agree. Like, it's good for It's probably a good idea for him to get extra reps at third and like, It'll probably help them in the long run because the Yankees do such a great job developing their top prospects that, like, hey, whatever their instincts are is probably accurate. Uh, no, I can't think that way because I don't think that way. Anthony Bowlby's answering the que- answering all the questions, yeah. all the right answers. He's saying, you know, what position do you want to play? I just want to help this team win. Great. That's what Oswaldo Cabrera said, too. But he's a utility guy and yeah. you're a shortstop. So you should- Maybe Volby should have said, no, I'm only playing fucking shortstop. No, I want to play the position that I've always played <laughs> and I'm now coming up from the minors to play. And he said uh, – he did give them a little hint. He said, they said, what players are you looking forward to learning from? And he said, Willie Randolph, that's a shortstop. That's a captain. Yeah. It's a weird – it's a weird pick because, uh, I mean, I guess Jeter's not there and Reggie Jackson's not there because he's at Astros camp. So if you're picking from Yankees legends, Goose, Goose Gossage. Gossage isn't there. Goose Gossage isn't there because he's trying to shoot down the Chinese balloon. People are like, <laughs> already, they already got shot down. He's like, oh, God damn it, I'm going to get it. I'm going to get the balloon. <laughs> Um, but so it's like, it's Gidry or Willie Randolph. Uh, and he, uh, wants to learn a thing or two about succeeding in the Bronx, playing short, playing second from Willie Randolph. Uh, not a third baseman, Greg Nettles. His line was busy. Couldn't reach him. Uh, yeah. Let's just focus on second and short at this point. If we need to move him to third, we will move him to third. But DJ LeMay, who already has experience doing that, and he's on the team for quite a while. So let's just have LeMay, slide into Donaldson's spot. And Volpe, you play second. I think that's okay. Uh, Let's let's actually talk about Ben Rorkvet real quick, just because uh, this yeah, is not we can't end we can't end with him. It's not funny, uh, but he uh, 
has never been an active. I've never seen anything like this in my life. I, I didn't think that Ben Rortvet was going to be the savior of the Urshela Sanchez Donaldson IKF trade last year. I didn't look at that and go, you know what I'm really excited about is the backup catcher they got, Ben Rortvet. That said, he showed up last year injured to start spring training. He had an oblique issue, couldn't participate, rehabbed in the middle of May. During that rehab, hurt his knee, had surgery, messed around at the end of the year, obviously never got the big league call. Shows up to spring. It becomes this running joke that Ben Rorfett is not real, and it's an understandable running joke because we never see him. Cut to spring training this year. He's back. He's healthy. The Yes Network tweets a video of him taking a BP cut with the dynamite emoji. I text my dad, Rorfett. My dad always texts me about Rortvet. Uh, I don't. I truly don't know why. I wish I knew, uh, but it's like he's the only person who seems to know the collective vision that we all have around Ben Rortvet, the Mirage. My dad and I talk about it. That's how I know he's real. I text him the video. I was like, "There he is." The literal next day, he comes down with a finger injury. Classic. We all have a laugh. Oh, Ben Rortvet has a new injury. He's not real. The next day, it turns out not a finger injury. His finger was feeling discomfort because of a, a nerve issue and an aortic, like an aneurysm in his shoulder, David Cohn style. He has a very serious operation, no baseball activities for a month. Again, want to bet that month is longer than a month? That's not a real month. That's not going to be a month. Nope. Uh, I would love to see him. He's got lefty pop. Anywhere you can diversify the lineup with lefties, you do it. If he's Trevino's backup instead of Kyle Higashioka, I think I like that theoretically he's a strong defender he's young again in theory if he existed he would be young but since he doesn't exist on this earthly plane he doesn't have years attached to his name and therefore it's impossible to tell what his age actually is perhaps he's from the stone age perhaps he's a cave painting either way i mean not to make light of it because the injury is more serious than we thought and thank god that they caught it uh but nobody's had a more tortured injury history with the yankees have been word fit because frankie montas only made 10 starts at least he made 10 starts We can't even get him in the system. We can't even start ironing out his flaws. We can't figure out what it is he does because he's, he's had five different maladies in one year, less than a year. The anniversary of the trade is when the lockout was lifted. So it's like March 14th or something like it's under a year and it's four different distinct injuries and two surgical procedures. It's, it's kind of unbelievable. Yeah, he's uh, he's baseball's versions of uh, he's the baseball version of uh, Kaiser Soze. Uh, nowhere to be found. Not real, um, but it does suck. All jokes aside, this is uh, again not somebody we were over the moon about. But um, yeah. you always need some help at catcher. The Yankees catching situation heading into last year was very iffy. Uh, if you remember last February, you were like, all right, I guess we're going with the defense first approach. And then thankfully Jose Trevino steps up um, and provides offense out of that, um, out of that position. But, you know, Rortvet has, uh, has the ability to, to hit for power. Everyone was gushing over his biceps, which you search him in Google. The first, the, the second picture that comes up is a twins player admiring his bicep in the workout room. So, I mean, I'd like to see videos of that. You remember, the Luke Voigt videos of him getting freaking wild in the weight room. He was benching like 225 with one hand, screaming, throwing weights on the floor. Like, I like that stuff. Yeah. Um, maybe there was an element of maybe there was an element of energy that Ben Wortvet could have brought to the table. I don't know. But either way, this is brutal. 
Um, thankfully, the Yankees do have the catching depth at the moment um, because that would have been, man, that would have been another indictment on Brian Cashman if he had acquired Ben Morkvet to be a backup catcher and then this is what transpired. Oh man, I don't, I don't, didn't, I don't want to be around for that because the discourse at this point with him is is really not pretty. With the Montas news still at the forefront, um, you couple that with the fact that the Yankees claim they're not going to make another signing or they're not going to make another trade uh, to address the back end of the rotation. So once again, it's like, okay, great, you made a move, it fucked up, you shit the bed, and now you're just not going to do anything. It's just, oh yeah, that happened. So now we're just moving on. That had happened with the catcher position after all the years of turmoil behind the plate from what. 2019 on with Gary Sanchez that, that, that just would have been, that would have been tough stuff. So anyway, all the best to Ben. Um, This is, this is not fun uh, for him. It's certainly not fun for Yankees fans who have been, you know, hoping for hoping to see him in action uh, this spring after he missed most of last year and, and struggled with all those injuries. But yeah, this is another situation where, yeah, maybe back in a month also probably not. So we'll see you in June, maybe. Cool. He can catch Frankie Montas's rehab start. Yeah. Uh, when Montas is inevitably scratched, Luis Severino style, because he just doesn't feel right coming into warmups. Uh, arguably, maybe the darkest moment of that particular summer when it, when Severino was right on the edge of coming back and then was like, ah, I can't warm up my shoulder. Just kidding. Then he did come back eventually, though. Uh, Severino, by the way, in the best shape of his life, spring training style. Eating quinoa this offseason, he says. Uh, Garrett Cole says he's like a bulldog this year. He's really, he's ready. I hope, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I hope we, we need a lot of Severino now, which is a scary thing. We do. We need, I mean, we need a lot of Cole. We need a lot of Rodon. And we need a lot of Severino and Cortez because uh, Domingo Herman was better last year than you thought he would be, than I thought he would be for sure. Um, but still, you know, nah, I'm not doing it. I'm not doing it. Not, not relying doing on it. it. I'm not doing it. I won't do it. Um, we need, uh, yeah, we, we need a uh, less injury concern this year. Uh, more, I just don't want to have to deal with depth, op- depth options all over. We're already going to have to have depth issues with, I guess the bullpen still kind of don't know who's going to emerge there. You have some guys in there that could, but. Not not totally guaranteed. We're going to have to use our our positional depth. That is a given every year. Having to dig into the depth for starting pitching is is always a rough one. Um, really, really don't want that. Uh, how about the depth in the booth, bro? How about it? Serious depth in the booth. Paul O'Neill is back per a report. It's not fully confirmed yet. Newsday reported this um, with a bit of information that the Yes Network had uh, relaxed its vaccine mandate. And man, I was laughing at the New York Post headline. I just thought it was so funny that they framed it as Polonial back in the booth after vaccine standoff. Um, and as I wrote in that article, all I could picture was Hal Steinbrenner standing there with a syringe trying to poke Paul O'Neill with the vaccine. Paul, we need you back in the booth. Mm-hmm. Paul standing there with a bat, just, no, I won't do it, sir. It's not happening. I'm going to go back to Ohio. I'm going to do this from the green screen, and you're going to like it. And then everyone said, yep, sure. And yeah, um, then that's the thing. And then they're like, great. Yeah, I think it could work. Yeah, great. It worked out. Um, but, yeah, and look, forget about the, the, the politics around this shit because you don't want to discuss it. It's just the consistency with whatever it is with the vaccine. So Paul O'Neill can't be in the booth, but 
can attend his number retirement ceremony with people on the field, but can't come into contact with any of the players on the roster and also can't come into contact with anybody in that works for yes or whatever it was. It was either people in the booth or people in the organization, but visiting players can still come unvaccinated, come into contact with players. Um, I'm assuming visiting, uh, visiting uh, broadcasters can come in and broadcast the games for me. I mean, I don't know if that's a fact, but I, to, to my knowledge, I don't know if every single major league organization has a vaccine mandate for the broadcasting. I could totally be wrong. Um, but either way, you know, you have the whole player argument, which has been inconsistent this entire time. Um, and it just gets exhausting. You don't want to talk in circles about this. You don't even want to talk about it at all. You just want everything to be fine, but that's unfortunately not life. Um, either way, just very glad Paul O'Neill is back um, so he can hang out with his boys in the booth. Um, the product will obviously uh, improve with him in the booth, um, as we've seen over the last couple of years with remote broadcasts when the entire team is remote. It's not fun to watch. It's not fun to listen to. Um, that's why we uh, got pissed off for a moment when the Yankees were cutting uh, a cost, I guess, this spring by not having the broadcasters in person. This is the first entertaining spring training in recent Yankees memory with all the position battles, with all the prospects that are going to be there. And you're going to have remote broadcast for it of all the years to choose to do this. When you actively don't have to do this, this is when you're going to do it. Um, It's just an insult to the product. It's an insult to fans. Um, How much money are you saving doing this? Really? I would love to know a couple hundred thousand. If that, I, I, I don't know the numbers, but it's, it's certainly a drop in the bucket for an organization that is worth as much as the Yankees are worth. Um, but anyway, on the happier note, Paul Neal's back. How do you feel about that? How do I feel about I that? I know you like Paul. I do like Paul. And I never wanted to not like Paul during uh, the, the dark period where, you know, we were not supposed to like Paul politically. Uh, I'm not going not gonna to talk about it too much. But it is, it is kind of bizarre that there was certainly a time when, uh, you know, vaccination mandates were definitely necessary. And I think it's odd that a lot of people lost their jobs and Paul O'Neill didn't. And now Paul O'Neill gets rewarded, gets to go back in the booth while a lot of people just don't have their jobs anymore. That too. That too. Uh, that's pretty bizarre. Uh, but and, uh, you know, they found a workable solution with Paul O'Neill. Uh, but some jobs are not required to be in person. Still, you know, we can we can do our jobs from home and we do. Uh, but I think I'd rather be in a space with you if we could. Uh, and it's the same thing with the broadcasters. Like you could obviously do it with Paul O'Neill in the basement uh, hundreds of miles away. But occasionally uh, during live play, he'd be going, Michael, Michael. And he'd be like, well, clearly he's delayed. Or uh, he would lose the feed and he'd be like, all right, goodbye for a while. And he'd be like, well, it sure would be easier if he was looking at the sport that he, that everybody was playing on the field. Uh, so, I mean, it sort of hit the height of absurdity last year when he wasn't allowed. He, he did come back for his number retirement, but he was allowed to speak and wasn't allowed to be in certain places. And meanwhile, there were unvaccinated baseball players. Like there are unvaccinated baseball players on every team. I don't get it. Uh, but he wasn't allowed to go anywhere. And like, it's not even at that point, I'm, there's no statement to be made about the politics. I, I will not, I'm not going to bring politics into it, but it was like, why is the yes network not allowing Paul O'Neill to be in the booth, but players 
can theoretically be like were players banned from the booth? Like, were there certain areas of the stadium where they still couldn't go during that period of time? I, I don't want well, Andrew Benintendi was here last year. He never got vaccinated. He wouldn't have been able to go to Toronto and play a road series against the Blue Jays. But like, I don't recall him being banned from the booth or Susan Waldman being banned from shaking his hand. It was all kind of absurd and convoluted. And it's nice to have Paul O'Neill back again without making any sort of statement in either direction. It would have been nice if Paul O'Neill uh, would have just gotten the vaccine because I think we'd really like Paul O'Neill to be around for a long time. But that said, at least it's water under the bridge at this point. Anything else we want to talk about today heading into the weekend? Uh, I don't want to talk about that ever again, but I guess uh, that might be the last time ever because even Toronto has lifted the mandate at this point. So we don't even well, get they the did. I think they did. We don't get those hilarious series anymore where the Red Sox uh, lose like nine players to in on the road. And, and then they wonder, oh, well, you know, nothing I could do. Nothing I could have done. Yeah, I'll, I'll, do anything, that, I'll, I'll do anything to help my team. I'll do anything to help my team. Really? I'll do anything. Um, what else can we talk about? Um, let's just let's get this out of the way. Uh, Manny Machado is just he's not coming to the Yankees. No. Even if he opts out, even if the Yankees have a hole at third base, um, the Padres reportedly offered him an additional five years and one hundred and five million dollars on top of the one hundred and fifty million remaining on Machado's contract after this season from 2024 to 2028, uh, which would have brought it to what? Um, uh, 10 years and uh, 255 million, right? Yeah. yeah. Uh, And um, Machado said, no, he reportedly wants 10 years for 400 million. If the Yankees did not sign Manny Machado for 10 years and 300 million, when they had the opportunity to do so, when he was heading heading into his age 26 season or whatever it was, that would have protected them as much as any long-term deal could protect you from uh, paying for down years, paying for the regression. They are not paying a hundred million extra dollars for May Machado heading into his age 31 season. Um, and this is incredibly frustrating because if you look back on that free agency year, you would probably guess that the Yankees could have given Machado 300 million over the 10 years and they would not have had to give him an opt-out clause because they're the New York Yankees. I don't think it would have been a sin. He went to the Padres who were still trying to figure things out, still didn't really have a star player um, and got that money and then pretty much negotiated an opt-out because it was like, all right, well, if you guys suck in five years, like I'm not going to keep doing this. And like, let's also time it with like the last time I can earn another long-term extension so I can benefit from this as much as I can. That would not have been the case in New York. So the Yankees could have had Machado for 10 years. You would think theoretically for 10 years, 300 million, no opt-out. They would have gotten three MVP caliber seasons out of them at this point. Another five years ahead with, it would have aligned with everything pretty perfectly right now. Um, And now fans have the gall to think that he will be at all considered next free agency period. They're not paying him Aaron judge money to come here. Cause that's even more than what Aaron judge um, got. Uh, and you have to think that if those rumors played a role in Machado's decision, the, the judge Padres rumors, he looked at that 10 year, you know, $400 million contract they offer judge. And he's like, well, if you think judge is worth that, then, then I'm definitely worth that. I play. Yeah. You know, a more I play a more pre I play a premium position. Um, I am constantly in the MVP discussion as well, um, and you can't disagree with it. Uh, you, you simply can't. So 
Um, this is not happening. Uh, unfortunately, nor is a Corbin Burns trade happening. Um, he had an issue with uh, his arbitration case with the Brewers. Uh, he filed for $10.75 million. The Brewers filed for $10.01 million. What is that number? Yeah. It's filed for 10. Let's um, get it done. Let's get it done. Let's get in the room. Of, yeah. Instead of meeting in the middle or instead of just giving Burns the extra $750,000 or whatever it was, um, the Brewers won the arbitration case. I don't know how they won it, but they did. He expressed frustration that has gotten everybody in every corner of every fan base talking about, oh, can my team trade for Corbin Burns? Sure, it could, but he's got another year of control. Um, you look at the Luis Castillo package um, from last year's deadline, which the Brewers are undoubtedly going to use as a mere framework for this deal because Corbin Burns is way better than Luis Castillo um, just in terms of resume over the last three years. Uh, the I don't know if the Yankees have the, the, uh, the necessary assets to offer here, um, it would be pretty cool if they if they could make it happen. Um, the Brewers will be fetching the highest possible uh, package in, in these talks, as all these other teams have done. The Nationals did it with Soto. The Reds did it with Castillo. Um, we can go on and on. But um, unless Brian Cashman does a 180 on his philosophy with, you know, making aggressive non-calculated, non-strategic trades, this isn't happening either. So just picture the Yankees moving forward without Manny Machado and Corbin Burns, and your life will be a lot more enjoyable. Yeah, how about that? Um, the only other thing I want to mention is uh, uh, arbitration-related. Ryan Thompson of the Rays. Uh, oh, opened the door a little bit to the arbitration process, uh, and I... Uh, I don't like Ryan Thompson of the Rays. He's one of many Rays relievers who uh, refused to wear Pride Night gear last year. So uh, it's really a shame he was denied the extra $200,000 that he would have used on uh, donating anti-LGBT charities. Uh, but he, he, he wrote a long thread. It's also worth saying that Ryan Thompson's background, like his banner image on his Twitter account, it's not a shocker that no one's ever seen any of this before because no one really knows the Rays middle relievers. The Rays go out of their way so that you don't know the Rays middle relievers. <laughs> but Ryan Thompson's Twitter banner is a digital rendering of an outdoor Rays stadium in Tampa. So clearly dissatisfied with the organization in more ways than one, stuck at the trop. Um, he uh, tweeted a long thread about what the Rays did to him in arbitration. Uh, and he lost oh, his God, he, he, yes, I mean, it's. I'm trying to get you the highlights. He, he lost his case. He detailed all the things that he had to do. He lost 200K. I mean, a million. He was aiming for 1.2 something. Um, the most important things are that the it's important to remember this is a real process. It's not just like a magical computer that spits out a different contract and it's like, you are worth like arbitration. It gets mean. The people in the room, it, it scream and devalue players. And then in like impartial arbitrators have to listen to that and be like, very interesting. Who made a better case while there's all sorts of vitriol going on. Ryan Thompson made it clear. The arbitrator, the, the people deciding this didn't really know baseball. He was like, I really hoped that they would have a rudimentary understanding of stats and they could just have a conversation about who I am and what I'm worth. They didn't know what we were talking about. The Rays scared these arbitrators by using uh, stats like meltdowns, which is a fan graph stat, which is pretty misleading. 
and just indicates a certain threshold of runs allowed, blah, blah, blah. Um, but obviously meltdown sounds very scary uh, when you hear it and you don't know much about baseball. It's also, you and I know that's not a stat that's really used very often, but the impersonal arbitrators are like, ooh, meltdown, spooky, that's bad that he had all those meltdowns. Um, they also use blown saves, which we all know doesn't really apply for a middle reliever. A middle reliever might blow, uh, you know, it doesn't, I don't know. That's like a blown save is, has very little to do with Ryan Thompson's job. Uh, so I'm sure he blew a couple of saves, but that's not the same as coming into the ninth inning and fucking it up. Um, they discredited holds and leverage while targeting him on blown saves, lack of left-handed usage and meltdowns, which comes directly from fan graphs quote from Ryan Thompson, the use of buzzwords by the team without a doubt swayed the arbitrators blown saves, meltdowns and protected from left-handed hitters created a bias. Brilliant. Meltdowns is not an official MLB stat. I've never heard of it. Maybe never will again. We could have scoured the web for positive terminology, but struck to, stuck to the criteria. His career batting average against is 214 against lefties. His lack of usage against lefties, which is as high as Jalen Beeks, by the way, isn't from a lack of quality, but via team projections. So the Rays use their internal projections to limit the usage of a pitcher against left-handers. And then when it came time to pay him an extra $200,000, said you get your use limited against left-handers because they did that. So they took something off Ryan Thompson's plate. They didn't give him a chance to do it. They said our metrics say you can't do it, so you're not going to do it. And when it came time to have a face-to-face discussion, they were like, well, you don't do this. So, But it was their choice for him to not do this. So remember, the Rays are cheap, and remember, the process is weird. And remember, of course, cheap teams like the Rays use the process brutally in comparison to the way other teams use it. Yeah, wage suppression. We've talked about this yes. a lot. Uh, one last thing. Because how could we forget this? And I love ending the podcast on a positive note. I love telling everybody to suck it, um, DX style. Uh, Carlos Rodon uh, talked to the media again at spring training. um, And uh, this is for all the people who uh, really overreacted when the Yankees booed um, the team during the ALCS, specifically a moment where Aaron Judge struck out and – he heard the boos as a result. Um, the Yankees got swept by the Astros in the ALCS. It was yet another embarrassing end to a season in which they had gotten punked by their rivals. Um, and everybody was like, great. Uh, all, the, all, the, all the people who hated the Yankees said, oh, well, you know, Judge isn't coming back now. Anthony Rizzo, why would he come back? There's no, no reason for these guys to come back. They, can, they, they don't have to be mistreated by fans, and they can enjoy playing somewhere else. Not only did both of them resign, the Yankees managed to get Carlos Rodon under contract for six years and $162 million, which I think was a pretty good deal, um, all things considered. Um, and here's what he had to say at spring training. Quote, there was just something about the Yankees. The fans here want to win. They care. They care a lot. Giants fans are invested, but not like New York. Win or lose, you're not getting booed in San Francisco. So, God, I fucking love this guy. So this guy is like getting turned on by the possibility that he's going to suck ass one day and he's just going to hear all the crowd just go off on him. Um, oh, which is me. I love it. Bring it on. Um, and uh, either way, I, you know, that's the, that's the funny aspect of it. But um, on a more serious note, there is still a sect of players and I still think it's a very small minority. It might be like uh, maybe upwards of 20%. Um, of players who value playing for a team whose fan base is rabid, who's invested in 
every single moment of the season, invested in every transaction, invested in a random fifth inning in fucking August against the Oakland A's when nobody should theoretically care uh, because it raises the stakes. It gives you an opportunity to reach legend, legend status if you were to achieve the ultimate goal. Um, and do I think that that's entirely healthy for a fan base to be like that? Not really. Uh, I like it. But at the same time, we've seen this shit go off the rails where fans don't even know what they're saying and they're just losing their minds because they're sick of losing um, or they're sick of, you know, the playoff utility or whatever it is. And look, at the end of the day, Yankees fans are blessed. Um, team has a long, long streak of a winning of winning records. Um, they have the most world championships of any team in any sport. Um, and, you know, times have been a little bit tough by, again, their standards. Uh, the standards here are different. Sorry that it's been that way, but that's just what it is when you have the most money, when you're able to attract free agents, when you're in the biggest market in the world, and this is kind of the, the reality for you. But after seeing that and hearing that, it's just refreshing to know that, yes, there are people who can't handle New York. Yes, there are people who are criticized New York for the unforgiving nature of it all, but there are still people who kind of appreciate it and can see the good in it because what is better at the end of the day than a fan base that actually pays attention and cares and knows exactly what's going on. You know, every night you're going to the ballpark, you're getting uh, uh, tens of thousands of people who, who are so in tune to, to the operations and the, and the, the player statistics and, and the slumps and the hot streaks and all that, like that has to make you feel good as a player. Every offseason, we hear every player from every team talk about the ultimate goal. The ultimate goal is to win a championship. The ultimate goal is to put a good product on the field for the fans who are paying a lot of money to go see this. And this is just, this is refreshing for me. I know it's refreshing, refreshing for a lot of other Yankees fans, but um, I think that pretty much shuts the door on people claiming that the players hate Yankees fans or they hate New York. Um, while there are probably a good amount of, players that do. Um, I think the Yankees have a good collection of guys who absolutely don't. And I, we're going to hopefully see uh, the results of that in 2023 when uh, this team catches fire and they're going to be riding the wind in the sails from all the support from the fan base instead of the negativity. And there were certainly people uh, there are out there, active players out there who don't want that pressure and don't want to join. And that's with- fine. Uh, Brian Cashman keeps targeting them at the trade deadline. Uh, there, you know, we, we know they're out there, uh, but Carl Rodon is the exact opposite. So we do need to keep him preserved the entire year uh, in fine amber. So honestly, maybe so that we can resurrect him in 30 years from now in case we need to give people uh, talking to and kick their ass a little bit and show them what it's like to play in a city like New York. Uh, now, obviously, he was also offered uh, the most money by the New York Yankees, but Everybody knew he was their top target, and rarely does top target line up with persona that's actually willing to take on that burden, take on the big contract. Garrett Cole could have run scared from it. Uh, I mean, we just yeah. – we have a piece he, – he's the same thing. I mean, he's not quite the alpha that Rodon is, but he always wanted to be a Yankee. He came here. He, he knows what the expectations are. So does Carlos Rodon. We did a piece coming out this week and next week, probably stay tuned for a little bit about like the free agency near misses that change Yankees history. There are people out there who don't want the Yankees money. It's not always as simple as offering the most money. Yankees offered Greg Maddox the most money in 1992. And he said, I want to stay in the national league. So the Braves came and, and scooped him up and that's great. Yankees won the 96, 98, 99, 2000 world series, made Greg Maddox's life miserable for the entire back half of the nineties. 
And, uh, you know, that's what you get. And I'm glad the Yankees were able to make him pay. But it's not always as simple as we'll give you the most money. Sometimes people just don't want it. And sometimes people take it and don't like that they took it and take them out every day and go, this is painful for me. Did an article on free agent failures. Ed Whitson of the Padres in the mid-80s. Obviously, it was a long time ago, but the Yankees were the George Steinbrenner Yankees. He was just paying people crazy money. And, you know, he was saying, I want you and I am outbidding everybody and you can take it or leave it. And so a bunch of people who wouldn't have otherwise joined the New York Yankees took those deals and were like, I mean, well, I'm not going to beat that. That's double what somebody else is paying me. Ed Whitson comes to the Yankees. He stinks. He hates it. He gets in a fist fight with Billy Martin. He leaves the next year. They trade him away. It was a terrible fit. He goes to San Diego and he's immediately good. Obviously, Carl Pavano is extenuating circumstances, injuries, etc. But he's much, much better in Florida. He's way better after he leaves the Yankees and gets healthy in Minnesota. He's a terrible Yankee when he's active and on the mound. Because he didn't want to be here. And when he left, he wanted to stick it to the Yankees. Rodon is the exact opposite. He wants to be here and he wants to take it out on everybody else. It's extremely exciting. It is. And that's all we can ask for. We want excitement. We want to feel good about what's happening. We want to know that the players who are on this roster want to be here and they understand what the the stakes are and what the consequences are if you perform poorly. Um, again, not the most savory reality, but it's the reality. You got to live with it. And if you're coming here, that's what it's got to be. So Brian Cashman, please stop getting the guys who can't handle it. We don't, we, not that we don't want them. It just doesn't work out. I would like to have guys um, who bought into it. Some can't, and that's just how life goes. So let's get some more bulldogs like Carlos Rodon, who don't really give a shit about what the results are and understand the totality of the situation. And that'll put us on a better track to actually get another world series or at least get there. Just get there. Maybe a lot of the Yankees said they wanted to be bulldogs. Did you see the uh, Yankees arriving to spring training today and answering their, what dog breed they would be really? Oh yeah. A lot of bulldogs. Uh, Severino's had a French bulldog, which, uh, Okay. I mean, those things aren't really that tough. They're kind of- <laughs> those things have like a million health problems. Yeah, those things. Yeah, that's Luis Severino. We had to put the French Bulldog on a 60-day I want breathing problems and kidney stones. and <laughs> This is not supposed to be alive. So, yeah, it's a lot like Luis Severino's <laughs> right arm and shoulder. Um, but a lot of German Shepherd. I don't know if I understand that one. Is that like a guard dog? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They, they can be vicious. Yeah, Bulldog for obvious reasons. Nestor said a boxer. Nice. That one stood out. And then Judge and uh, Rizzo both said uh, wiener dogs. Wiener dogs. <laughs> Back problems. Wiener dogs? It fits. Wiener dogs, yeah. They have the long base and they, they have back problems because they, they the, the long torso, they, they it's hard for them to support their back. They physically, they physically make very little sense. How yeah. do we? Uh, How do we do that? How do we make these dogs? How do we make these dogs? I don't know. Uh, that's a problem for another day. Uh, yeah. Tune into uh, next Monday's uh, dog breeding podcast, uh, which will run from 3 to 303 uh, live <laughs> on the YouTube channel. It'll also be on the Yanks Go Yard channel. That is it for this edition of the podcast. We will see you all next Monday and next Thursday, 2 o'clock Eastern, same time, same place. If you're not subscribed, Please hit the subscribe button. Follow us here. If you prefer the audio feed, subscribe there. Drop us a review in Apple Podcasts. We're also on Spotify, Google Podcasts, truly wherever supplies you with podcasts. We are there. Uh, but give us the five stars. Give us a review. If you feel like it, put a question in there. We're happy to answer it. 
the viewership ticked up as this podcast went on. That's what we like. We like sticking around so that you all come and watch. Um, and you all stayed to the end, which is great. You didn't tune out. We we're talking about Ben Rortvet or uh, heaping too much pressure on Volpe or doing a long extended monologue about Tampa Bay Rays reliever Ryan Thompson. That's how we know you like us and we know you care. The season is just around the corner. It's just over a month till opening day against the San Francisco Giants. The Yankees will be at home. Aaron Judge will be in the correct dugout. And we can't wait till then. Yes. We'll be here twice a week, uh, if not more, if the need arises. Until next time, I'm Adam Weiner. You can find me on Twitter at Adam Weiner. Thomas Carinante, where can the people find you? I'm at Tommy's underscore takes. Head on over there. Tell me how cool my hat is. I just bought this hat. I love this hat. Feeling good about it. This I love, you love, love a good purchase. So uh, buy some gear. Buy some baseball cards. We're doing that, too. Um, head on over to the official Yanks Go Yard Twitter account as well. You can find both of us there. It's at Yanks Go Yard FS. You can catch both of our bylines at yanksgoyard.com. We're churning out the content. We've got a lot of stuff coming out over the next few days, especially over the weekend. Some some uh, some good long lists to keep us entertained before the season starts. Um, but happy spring training. First game is on Saturday. We'll see what happens, and we'll see uh, how the position battles start to heat up. And we'll update you next on Monday. So have a good weekend and uh, enjoy baseball. Yeah, let's get some fake spring training dubs this weekend. How about that? We'll see you on Monday. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet, place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. 96% of Grammarly users say that it helps them craft more impactful writing. Would you agree? Grammarly helped adjust my tone to navigate tough work conversations. And it works everywhere I write, so I can quickly communicate effectively. Your teammate used Grammarly to summarize an important document, making a three-pointer. How did he do it? It only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. You made an incredible slam dunk to end the game. The meeting was canceled, and your team will go home champions. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done.